I want to preach a message today entitled, When a Nation Loses Its Mind. <laughs> We're going to talk about our nation today in political affairs and what the Bible has to say about it. We're going to talk about scripture today, about national judgment and national events through the lens of the Bible. Do you believe that God rules in the affairs of nations? He created nations. He created the earth. He created government. He ordained government. And we're going to see what the Bible has to say about that. I don't know if you're familiar. The Bible has a lot to say about government and has a lot to say about nations collectively. Romans chapter 1 is a place in the Bible where God addresses nations and how he deals with nations based on how the nations deal with him. And I want you to see this today. Perhaps you've never seen this passage, but this is where he talks about how he deals with nations. I want you to understand what's going on in your nation today. There's some strange things happening in this nation today. The Bible has the answer to everything going on on the planet. And I want you to have a biblical understanding of what's happening in the nation and what's coming in the future. Romans chapter 1, it begins in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. That's where this passage starts. And the Bible says this, Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God, let's just stop right there. My God is a God of mercy and kindness and grace. He is long-suffering and patient. To those who turn their hearts toward him, he is more than gracious. The Bible is very clear. As a father, has a tender heart toward his children. So the Lord has a tender heart toward those who honor him. He's a God of love and grace and mercy. But what else does the Bible teach? Does it talk about the wrath of God? In other words, wrath and judgment are the same thing in the Bible. He's a God of mercy, but he's also a God of judgment. And we need to hear both sides. The Bible says to every preacher that ever lived, one day you're going to give an account. And you better be able to say to me, I did not shun to declare to them all the counsel of God. You've got to tell the whole story. So the Bible here talks about the judgment of God, or as it's called here, the wrath of God. The Bible says this, Romans 1.18. <clears throat> The judgment of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men who suppress the truth. What does the word suppress mean? To reject or fight against the truth. Now the Bible says that if a person rejects truth and fights against God's truth, they bring judgment on themselves. God does not have some truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is complete truth. He's the author of all truth. <clears throat> all right, verse 19 says this. Because, here's the reason, <clears throat> what may be known about God is manifest to them. God has shown it to them. If anybody ever tells you, I, I don't believe there's a God, I've never seen him, this book says you have seen him. The Bible says God has revealed himself to people. The answer is in verse 20. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Get it? You know good and well there's a God. You know why? If there's a creation, there's a creator. The invisible nature of God is revealed by the things he created. When you look out on this planet and you look at life and you see precise precision order, you better know somebody's behind that. Contrary to what's being taught in our schools today, that everything you see today came out of an explosion. Let me make an announcement. As a young man, I blew some things up. <laughs> you do not get order out of explosions. 
the precision order of this universe and the beauty of this universe has, has screams somebody's behind this. And the Bible said he's revealed himself through the things that are created so that we are without excuse. Very clear. Verse 20. <clears throat> Verse 21. Because although people knew God, they would not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. What did the Bible say? If you know there's a God, you need to honor him. If he's shown you that he exists, you need to honor him. And what else? Be thankful to him. But when people know there's a God and they refuse to honor him, which means to obey him. Let's read verse 21 again. They knew God. They would not glorify him or honor him, nor were thankful. They became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. What's the judgment of God on a people who put their fist in his face as a nation? What is it? It is darkness of mind. Now, people here of Sodom and Gomorrah say, do you think God's going to rain fire and brimstone on the nation? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when a nation knows God and they put their fist in his face and say, we are not going to let you tell us how to live. The judgment of God is he affects their minds and a darkness comes over their minds and over their hearts. And they will brag about how smart they are, but they will become absolute fools. And they'll do the most foolish things. He takes logic and reason and sane thinking out of a nation that rejects him. You can see this clearly in Scripture. And this is exactly what the Bible teaches that he rules in the affairs of men. Now, I want to make an announcement. According to this Bible, the creator of this universe expects nations to honor him. You can see it clearly. You can read it all through the Bible, not just this passage. He expects that which he created to honor him and respect him. But let me say something. He gives everybody a free choice. You don't have to obey him. You don't have to believe in him. You don't have to honor him. You can give him the finger or you can worship him and obey him. And you have that choice. He gave you the right to make that choice. But let me tell you what this book says. You're free to make your own choices. You will not choose the consequences. The consequences will be chosen for you. And you will not be in charge of the consequences. The scripture is very clear about that. Now, I've had people say to me, well, we, we believe in separation of church and state. He who wrote this book does not believe in separation of church and state. He said it's in our constitution. It is not. It was invented in the 1970s to pervert this nation. Let me tell you what this Bible says, Psalm 33, 12. Let me tell you what he says about separation of church and state. Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. He expects nations to honor him. And any nation that does not honor him will face the consequences of their decision. Deuteronomy chapter 28, we won't look at it. It's where God makes a covenant with nations. And here's what he says in Deuteronomy 28. If you will obey me, and honor me and keep my commandments, I will bring these blessings on you. And then it lists everything he'll do for a nation that honors him and puts him first. Uh, financial prosperity. I will bless your industry. Family protection. He said, you'll be blessed in your family. You will delight in your sons and daughters. Global dominance. He said, I will raise you up above the other nations in the earth. You will bar the nations, but you'll never have to lend. Security and safety. And then it shifts gears and it says, but if you refuse to keep my commandments and you throw my laws behind your back, all these judgments will come upon you. Judge shall you be in your family. You will marry a woman, another man will lie with her. 
What happens to your children will drive you mad. Psychological and mental maladies. Financial destruction. You will be a debtor nation. National debt is the judgment of God on a people who put their fist in his face. He said, the world will dominate you. You'll go before your enemies and you will run from them seven ways. So the Bible is very clear. He deals with nations and blesses or judges nations based on how they respect and honor and deal with him. But, but let me say again, people misunderstand the, the judgment of God on a people is a darkened mind. You begin to do things that are just absolutely insane. A great darkness comes into people's minds. And then what happens is, if you continue on that round, the Bible teaches this. You begin to spiral down into darkness. Now, listen to what I'm fixing to teach you from the Bible. The Bible teaches this. It's, it's, the, law in, it's the law in not only the spirit realm, but in every realm. There, there is no uh, stationary place. Do you know what that means? There's no stationary place. You're either going up or you're going down. But you never stay there. The Bible teaches in, in many places, 2 Corinthians 3.18, if you love God and you follow God, you're going to grow. You'll, you'll, he'll change you. We go from glory to glory. We become more like Jesus as we follow him. You don't stay here. You grow as you follow him. But it also teaches this. If you rebel against him, you'll never stay where you're at. You'll start a downward spiral and you will slowly descend into what? What does the Bible call it? Depravity. You folks can see that. I'll give you an example. I went to visit a friend a couple years ago. He was in the uh, Guilford County Jail at the time. He'd just been sentenced to 30 years in prison for molesting little girls. We went to high school together and I went to see him. And uh, I was talking to him. I just asked him, you're a good guy. You got a beautiful wife. You got good kids. You're a deacon in the Baptist church. What happened to you? He said, Brian, if you'd have told me three years ago I was going to do this, I'd have hit you. He said, it started out with soft porn on the internet. And then it had to get a little rougher. And then it got filthy. And then that wasn't enough. It had to, and he said, I found myself just going down. I watched it happening and knew it was wrong, but I couldn't stop it. When you put your fist in God's face, you start a downward spiral. Every nation does the same. There is no, there is no staying anywhere in the kingdom. You're either going up or you're going away from it. All right, let's read the scriptures, what it says about a downward spiral. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became foolish and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Instead of worshiping God, we started worshiping stuff. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. We call that what? The sexual revolution. God created human beings to live in honor and dignity. He didn't create people to live like junkyard dogs in heat. It is the judgment of God when we cheer for what we ought to be ashamed of. All right. Verse 25, the continued, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. We used to worship God in this nation. Now we worship sports stars, rock stars, country stars, political stars, and fallen stars, and black stars, dark stars. And the Bible calls this judgment when we do that. <clears throat> to continue, verse 26, 
For this reason, God gave them to vile passions. Even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, the men left the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their due error. Verse 28, here's the final straw. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. You start out worshiping God, giving him glory. And then all of a sudden, you don't like what he's got to say, so you begin to worship something else. What's the final straw in a nation? You say, get him out of the nation completely. We don't want the knowledge of God in this land. We don't want him mentioned in this nation. We don't want him in our public schools. We don't want him in the political arena. We don't want him in the national arena. When you decide as a nation, get him out of here, that's the final straw. And it's the downward spiral. And then the Bible says this, as they did not like, let's read verse 28 again. They did not want to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a what? A debased mind. Now, some Bibles say reprobate mind. Some Bibles say darkened mind. But when a nation says, get out of the nation you built, he says, I'm leaving. But I'm taking all sane thinking with me. And I'm going to give you over to a debased, reprobate mind. The scripture teaches, let's follow a little further, to do those things which are not fitting or proper. And then he lists in verses 29 through 32, he lists 23 things that happen to a nation that's given over to a debased mind. We're not going to take time to read them. You can read them when you get home, but you know what you'll find in that list? It looks like today's headlines in our nation. It's exactly what's happening in our nation today. <clears throat> and I want to do this. Those 23 things can be compressed into four areas. And when you see these four things happen in a nation, you can rest assured that nation's under judgment. And that nation's in deep trouble. Here are the four areas that it mentions. Number one, that it mentions anarchy and violence in a nation. When you see anarchy and, and unrestrained violence in a nation, that nation's in trouble. I want to ask you a question. What is at the root of all national prosperity? What do you have to have in a nation before a nation can prosper and you can raise a family? It's not good economic policy first. What, what do you have to have first? Safety. You have to have law and order in a nation for people to prosper. I mean, you can't raise a family, send your kids off to school, you go to your business, if you don't think you can get there safely. Demons, God established law enforcement and law and order to be the foundation of national prosperity. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 13 that a government is to collect taxes to pay the salaries of those who enforce law in a nation. Because if you don't have law enforcement, you can't have anything else in a nation. And a nation that's spiraling into destruction begins to reject law and order. And they begin to glorify criminals and vilify law enforcement. Let me tell you what a dark, let me tell you what's happening. Let me tell you how you know you've been given over to a darkened mind and you've lost your mind. When you want to defund police. Think about it. Well, listen, where does defunding the police eventually lead to? Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 24, this will be the sign of great judgment, lawlessness. People will despise law and order. And uh, I understand the argument. People say, well, the, the reason behind defund the police is because of some rogue policemen like the one in Minnesota. That is not what's behind this argument. Darkness is behind this argument. Can I, can I reason with you? Just let me reason for just a minute. I agree. Listen, we have over 700,000 law, law enforcement officers in this nation. 
You think you're going to get that many people together not have some bad apples in the bunch? Any law enforcement officer that does not honor his office and handle it well needs to be judged stricter than the average citizen. If they do wrong, hang them out to dry. But that is not a reason to get rid of all law enforcement. Look, can I appeal to you for just a minute? If this afternoon your child gets violently sick, are you going to take them to a doctor? No, don't take them. Don't take them to a doctor. You didn't hear about the doctor in Kansas City that was molesting children? Defund all the doctors. That's the sanity of what's going on in our nation. You're going to send your child to a public classroom tomorrow when you don't know what's going on in that classroom? Have you heard of all the teachers just in the state of North Carolina that are molesting children? Defund all the teachers. You have lost your mind when you don't want law and order in a nation. It is the foundation of a civil, <laughs> civil society. Number two, the Bible said this, crushing national debt. National debt is the curse on our children's future. And the Bible said that any nation that sinks deep into debt is suffering from a darkened mind. Now, Deuteronomy 28 again is the, is the policy. What happens is a nation begins to embrace insane economic policies and call them normal. Guess why? You put your fist in God's face and rejected what he said. Now, this may ill some of you off, and I'm going to tell you what this Bible's got to say. It is very clear in this scripture that our God calls for a capitalistic society. He is anti-socialist. Now, that may ill you off, but do me a favor. Bring me your Bible and show it to me. The Bible is very clear. God is not a socialist. He calls for a capitalistic community. The first, what's the first thing he ever said about economy in the Bible? Go all the way back first to the Bible. What did he say? When the first mention he ever made of economy, when he said this, you shall earn your living and eat your bread by the sweat of your brow. You don't eat your bread by the sweat of somebody else's brow. You eat your own bread by the sweat of your brow. You, you saw that you're just cold-hearted. You want to hear about somebody that's cold-hearted? Second Thessalonians chapter three verse ten says this: If a man will not work, don't let him eat. He's not being unkind. He just knows this: You create a socialist economy, you're going to turn the people one against the other, and you're going to collapse financially. Socialism was tried in this nation in the first year. Governor William Bradford. Was, uh, it was an edict by those who financed the expedition. The pilgrims came here. The first year, they had a socialist economy. All the farming was common. All the food was put in a common pot. Everybody was allowed whatever they wanted. He said, by the end of the year, we were at each other's throats. The younger men were mad because the older women, men wouldn't work. The women wouldn't work at all because they thought they could get it for free. And said, not only that, we almost starved to death the first year. Right. After one year, Governor Bradford changed gears and said he rejected the socialist system. He put in a system of capitalism. He designated everybody their own plot of land and said, whatever you grow, you get to keep. We're not sharing anything anymore. He said, at the end of the next year, we were getting along and we had plenty left over. Our God is a God of capitalism. And when you decide that you want to... Listen, my daddy didn't go to college. He was drafted as soon as he got out of high school, highly decorated war vet. He never had a concern about money in his life because he understood something that a lot of professors don't understand. You live within your means. He wasn't, he wasn't world's smartest man, but he was the world's most relaxed man. And he never had to struggle because he understood something that our professors don't understand today. The Bible's very clear about this, that it'll never work. The Bible couldn't be more clear on the matter of uh, this. Listen, some years ago, a lady was running for vice president in our nation. Her name was Sarah Palin. 
she created a firestorm when she compared debt to slavery. I mean, all hell came down on her for saying that. What they did not know was she didn't make that up. She was quoting from the Bible, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, where God said this, the borrower becomes a slave to the debtor. Excuse me, the debtor becomes a slave to the borrower. Dear ones, debt is slavery. And the difference is we're putting the noose of slavery around our children's necks. Our kids are going to grow up and hate us for what we did in this generation. But it's the judgment of God. Now, you said, Brother Brian, I thought the Bible taught that we could share with other people. Absolutely. But there are limited, there, there are parameters in it. Jesus said this, poor people will always be on the planet. The poor you'll have with you always. And you may do good to them anytime you wish. He said, you're free to share with people, but you do it because you want to. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, specifically forbids making people share their resources with somebody else under compulsion. You're not allowed to take somebody's money away from them to feed anybody else, according to Scripture. The Bible said in that same passage, if people give for somebody else's well-being, it's to be with a willing heart, never under compulsion. You're not to take... Listen, God ordained government and created government to protect, never to provide. The first opportunity our nation had to be a providing nation was years ago when a bill was brought before the Congress in this nation. A, a fire had broken out in Washington, D.C., and a large swath of businesses and homes was destroyed. And a congressman brought a bill before the Congress that we would take money out of the federal budget to help those people rebuild. A congressman from Tennessee stood up and said, I'm against it. His name was the Honorable Davy Crockett. And Davy Crockett stood up and he said, if we begin to support people out of the federal treasury, it'll be the beginning of the end of the nation. He said, I am the man least capable in this Congress, but I'm going to take a week's salary. And I ask every member of this Congress to take a week's pay and let's help those people voluntarily, but we cannot become providers. It'll be the end of the nation. He was a prophet. Yes, sir. And we're reaching that place now where... Again, my daddy was not an economist, but he could reduce it in the simplest terms. And he said, son, let me explain something to you. When you got too many people wanting to ride the wagon and not enough folks wanting to pull the wagon, the axles is going to break. That may not be Harvard level economics, but that's pretty good wisdom right there. Number three, the Bible's very clear and you saw this all through scripture. And this may be the number one issue. When a people began to redefine human sexuality, he could not be clear. Now, hear what I'm fixing to say to you. This Bible is very clear from Genesis to Revelation. Here's God's parameters for human sexuality. One man for one woman for one lifetime within the bonds of marriage. Period. It'll never change. He's not going to rewrite his word. I'm not political. This is not politics today. I'm here to tell you what the Bible says. I got to, give an, I got to stand in front of him one day. I'm not particularly wild about illing you off but I am much more concerned about ailing him off. And he's very clear that sexuality is reserved for marriage between one man and one woman for one lifetime. In the 1960s, we introduced something in this nation called the new morality. It was not. It's been around as old as time has. It's just the old immorality. And we began to down... Let me, let me tell you what's happened to us in this nation. When I was a boy, uh, right before Mr. Ford invented the Model T... <laughs> 
actually in the 1960s, the number one variety show in this nation was the Ed Sullivan Show. Does anybody remember the Ed Sullivan Show? Got a great show lined up for you tonight. The Ed Sullivan Show. And they had an up-and-coming rock star on that show one night called Elvis Presley. And Mr. Sullivan gave strict orders, do not let the camera go below his shoulders because that evil man wiggles his hips when he sings. That was, the anar that was the Arctic, excuse me, archaic morality of that generation. That's when I was a boy. Compare that to last year's Super Bowl show. That wasn't entertainment. I'm trying to be real careful. I really am not that concerned about offending people. I just don't want to be flat out crude in church today. How many ways can you gyrate and call it entertainment? That was not entertainment. But the fact, the fact that that is accepted in a nation shows you the downward spiral that we've fallen into. What, what we call freedom is just filth, bottom line. And I'm telling you, there's a biblical principle. You never stay where you're at. What is today, what shocks you today will be cheered for tomorrow, either up or down. Let me give you an example right here. I don't know if you saw this in the news this past week. Dr. Alan Walker, he's a professor at Old Dominion University, a well-known university just right up in Virginia. He has become an advocate for what they call MAPS, M-A-P, Minor Attracted People. You know what a minor attracted people is? That is an adult who wants to molest a child. Right there it is. He has become an advocate for adults who want to molest children and wants to bring it into the mainstream. All righty, Dr. Walker, who identifies as queer, non-binary, trans. Don't even try to explain it to a dumb old country boy. Said, listen to this. There is no immorality attached to a person wanting to molest a child because no one can control who they're attracted to at all. When you say something, we're not talking about some weirdo in a basement. This is a professor at a major university. When you say things like that, you have lost your mind. The judgment of God is on you. That's, that's, a, that's darkness. <laughs> a moron on crack couldn't make this stuff up. We have a tendency to want to categorize people with these attractions as evil or morally corrupt. You guess. Let me read a little further to you here. It's very problematic when you're a person that wants to, to molest children. It's really hard to cope when you think you're a terrible person. He will give them over to a debased mind. By the way, the university's response, academic freedom. We want to allow people to think. That was their first response. They screamed, academic freedom, leave him alone. Until the firestorm became so great. <laughs> and then they finally put him on paid leave while they investigate. What the hell is there to investigate? <laughs> He's a pervert. What happened? Listen to me. He's teaching this to young people. By the way. <laughs> can't make this up. Guess what he's a professor of? Criminal justice. He is, te he is teaching our law enforcement officers to be kind to perverts and not look down your nose at them. 
you have lost your mind when such foolishness is floated like that. You, we have lost our minds completely. That's what we'd spiral into. Let me, make, let me give a prophetic word. If this nation doesn't repent, there will come a day in this nation that won't bother anybody. There, there's no stationary place. You keep going down if you don't turn back. Which leads me into number four. Let me segue into this. When people want government to become their God. Government overreach. This is the great battle that's coming up in our nation. Primarily, this battle will be over the children. Now, you let me tell you what this book says. God did not give children to government. God gave children to parents. And children are the responsibility of their parents, not the government. And when a government wants to usurp the God-given authority of a parent over that child, that government's treading on dangerous ground. And that's what our government's doing right now as they step in. We have a great battle going on right now in our nation over who owns the children. There was a shot fired two weeks ago that was heard across the nation in the Virginia governor's race. And the whole governor's race boiled down to one issue. Who's going to own the children? And the incumbent who should have won handily, who should have won handily, sided with the state. The man who upset him, it was a shocking upset. He sided with the parents and he said, the government does not own the children. The parents have a right to own the children and decide what the children were taught. I asked our congressman when he was here a couple weeks ago with us, I asked him, has our enemy overplayed their hand? Is that going to be the coming war? He said, absolutely. He said, watch what comes out of these issues like this. Let me tell you what's going on in our land right now. We've turned our schools loose instead of educating. By the way, schools are supposed to educate. Let me tell you what education is. Math, reading, science, true history, critical thinking, not critical race theory, critical thinking. That's what schools are supposed to do. We got in great trouble the year was 1979 when a president named Jimmy Carter established something called the Department of Education. Up until 1979, all education was under the state's jurisdiction. And local states and parents determined what their children would be taught. But as a favor to the teachers union, because they helped get him elected, he federalized education in this nation. That was the beginning of the end. Don't take my opinion for it. Go back and look at the records since 1979. We used to lead the world in education. When we federalized education, we are on a down... Let me pause right here and say something. Congratulations, hats off, thanks God to every great teacher that's a light in our public schools today. I'm not talking about the great teachers. I'm not talking about the great teachers who still have their minds. I'm talking about the program, the institution, the department. And we have spiraled downward since 1979 to where we are ranked in the nation about 30th, depending on which, which survey you look at. Because we've stopped teaching science and math. Last, let me just give you, for instance, Baltimore City Schools last year, 80% of the students that graduated could not read a third grade book. Four out of five kids that graduated could not read a third grade book. One of our great professors in this nation, university professor, has been teaching for 50 years. He said, we have so dumbed down education in this nation. This is what he said. An A today would have been a B minus 40 years ago. But we're under such pressure from the administration to dumb education down so they can make money and graduate people. But our schools have swapped over. Instead of being heralds of education, they've become bastions of anti-American, anti-God indoctrination. Schools have no business teaching some of the things they're teaching. That belongs to the parents. 
and parents should have a right in what they do and what they have to say. Let me give you some examples. <clears throat> when a school tells a teacher, you have to call a boy a girl or be fired, you have lost your mind. Tanner Cross is a great uh, awarded elementary school teacher, Loudoun County School District. He was fired because he said, I will not call a boy a girl. And he was fired from his job. Quote, I love all my students. I'll never lie to them regardless of the consequences. I may a I'm a teacher, but I serve God first. I will not call a boy a girl and vice versa. It's against my faith. It's lying to a child. It's child abuse and it's sinning against God. This is where the great battleground is going to be fought right now. When you reach a place where you can fire a teacher because he will not rebel against God, your nation's in trouble. New Hampshire. High school, student, high school freshman, freshman, 15-year-old kid, went through diversity training and was told, you have to say this and that. Later on, not even on the school grounds, from his home that evening, he texted a friend and said, quote, I believe there are only two genders, male and female. This is what I've been taught as a Christian in my Catholic church. For texting that to a friend, he was suspended from school. What happened to the First Amendment in this nation? What happened to the freedom of religion and the freedom of speech? We have allowed ourselves to spiral down into the place to where government has become God in this nation. And this is, this is insane insane government overreach. I saw recently, let me give you an example. We have a family that goes to our church here. We have two uh, great schools in our state right now. One's called the School of Arts and, uh, excuse me, Science and Math in Durham. That's for exceptionally gifted children in that area. We have a school in Winston-Salem called the School of the Arts. That's for exceptionally gifted art students who can go there. And we have a family in our church. Their daughter attends the North Carolina School of the Arts in Winston-Salem. And this mother brought me a required reading book that every incoming student has to read. These are 15, 16-year-old kids. They're required to read this and go through this class when they first get there. It was pure pornography. Had the F word on every single page. Many times, multiple times on one page. It depicted animal-level sex acts to indoctrinate this, these children this is normal, and to say to them, if you challenge this, you're evil. Wow. Guess who's paying for it? You are. That's an, listen, when a nation teaches that to a 15-year-old child, your mind is going very dark. Right. I remember several years ago, I had a 12, I can't remember whether she was 12 or 13-year-old child, brought home a required reading book from the Southern Middle School in our county. Of course, me keeping my nose in my children's business. Let me remind you, if you're a parent, your nose needs to be in your children's business. This mess of I wouldn't dare look in their phone, you've lost your mind. You need to be in their business. So I'm glancing through this book and I found the most filthy graphic depiction of a young girl being raped in a stairwell. This is for a 12-year-old child read, required reading. I took it up to the Southern Middle School and with a gracious Christ-like spirit and smiling, I asked, do you not think this is a little too much for a 12-year-old to be reading? The answer was, this is a very famous book. People need to read it. These are famous books. I said, so you think children should read famous books? I said, let me recommend a famous book that children need to be reading. See this book right here? This was the best seller in the world last year for the 146th year in a row. You want to read a famous book? Right there it is. Now, you know what a nation gone insane is? 
when you can force children to read pornography and you will not allow them to read the Bible in your public schools, you've lost your mind. That's a nation that's been plunged deep into darkness and gone off the edge. I noticed recently, I saw the, I saw the uh, film of a mother who stood up in a school board meeting in Florida and she began to read some of the most filthy pornographic mess. The chairman of the Board of Education told her to be quiet. She wouldn't be quiet. She had the police remove her from the meeting. Guess where she got the book from? The school library. You've lost your mind in the nation when you begin to do things like that. <clears throat> do you know who the Bible says God's harshest judgment is for? I won't, we won't look at it up. I'll just quote it to you. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, where Jesus is talking about children when he said this. Whoever causes a little person, a young one who believes in me to sin, better for them to have a millstone hung around their neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea than to face me one day. He is particularly protective of children. And when you teach children to put their fist in his face and you pervert children, you in deep doo-doo with the man who will stand in front of one day. Pardon me for putting it in a language you can understand. The Bible said, I will give them over to a darkness of mind. Let me give you an example of a darkened mind and the judgment of God. Alamance County made the national news back in August when a professor at Elon University, her name is Dr. Rebecca Peters, she wrote an article <clears throat> entitled, The Christian Morality of Abortion. And what she said in her article was this, to say that abortion is wrong, quote, quote, flies in the face of the teaching of Jesus Christ. And she used as her text, John chapter 10, verse 10. She misquoted it, but that's what she used. When she said, Jesus said that a woman should pursue abundant life. That is not what the Bible says. John 10, 10 said, Jesus said, I came to give you abundant life. You don't have to pursue it. I'll give it to you. And she said, therefore, if you're pregnant, having that child is going to rob you of abundant life. You have a Christian obligation to abort that child. When you reach a point in a nation to where having a child and having to take your money and buy school clothes and food for that child and braces is going to keep you from buying a new car every two years so you kill the child so you can have a new car every two years, you have lost your mind. That is the depths of darkness. By the way, guess what she's a professor of? Religious studies. And an ordained Presbyterian minister. <laughs> My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. You can't make this stuff up. All right, let me tell you what's coming in this nation, the coming battle in this nation. Let, let me help you here. If you want to get you a sign and march through my city that says, I have sex with a man, and you're a man, you know what our, you know what our response to you is? We yawn. If you think you need to do that, go ahead and do it. Don't get in the way of traffic, but go ahead and do it. We've got more important things to do with our lives, like watching the paint dry that we just got done painting, than to watch you march through the streets. Listen to me, Doc. Nobody gives a rip. No. Uh, you can sleep with a freaking Volkswagen for all I care. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> Nobody cares about such nonsense. But you start stealing money from people at gunpoint. I'm amazed how that segment of the population is so anti-gun. They're the most gun-happy people I know. If I don't pay my taxes, guess who they're going to send to collect them? Man with a gun. Don't tell me you're against guns. You just don't like me having them. By the way, let me just piss. I'm sorry. Let me just make everybody. <laughs> let me just hack everybody off this morning. You see this book right here? This Bible teaches defend yourself with a weapon. You know where the Second Amendment came from in our Constitution? It came out of this book right here. 
What's one of the last things Jesus ever said before he was crucified? If you don't have a weapon, sell your coat and go buy you one. That's for self-defense. Now listen, that was not for military. The Bible is very clear. You're to collect taxes to buy weapons for law enforcement military. You're to sell your coat and buy you a weapon. At the time it was a sword, it'd be a pistol or a bomb, whatever you want. I don't know, whatever you want to use. This Bible teaches you have a right to defend yourself and your family. I'm telling you, this Bible addresses life and addresses the issues of life. Anyway, if you start taking money away from people and hurting them, you're going to get their attention. But you listen to what I'm fixing to say. You start screwing with their children, you're going to start a war in this nation. And that's exactly what's coming in this land. And it's the next thing this nation will face because of what's coming. Let me tell you something the Bible says about this. Great light brings great judgment. Great light brings great judgment. And he said this, the more light I give you, the more responsible you are for it. <clears throat> and that, that's found in Luke chapter 12, verse 47, where Jesus said this, he who knew his master's will but refused to do it shall receive many stripes. He who did not know his master's will and did not do it shall receive few stripes. Simply put, here it is, a nation that knew God's will but wouldn't do it will be judged more severely. Let me ask you a question. What nation on the face of this earth has had more light given to it than the United States? There are nations on this planet that have never heard the name of Jesus. Every, there are enough Bibles in America to have four. Every home in this nation could have four Bibles in it. We've had more light than any other nation. Therefore, our judgment will be more severe. And the Bible is very clear where we are. Now, let me shift gears here for a minute before we finish up. So what am I going to do in the midst of national judgment? If you don't understand this nation's under judgment, you're one of them. You're clueless, Doc. I mean, you're lost as a, you lost as a goose in a snowstorm. But what do I do as a nation under judgment? You hear this very clearly. The Bible's very clear. People who live in a nation under judgment that will choose to honor me and worship me, I will honor them. He who honors me, I will honor them in the midst of judgment. That's 1 Kings chapter 17 where the Bible said this. When God brought economic collapse down on a nation and they were suffering terribly because they put their fist in his face, those who honored him, he supernaturally provided for them and their families. And he will. Let me tell you something. The promises of God individually never break down. His eyes on the sparrow. He's going to take care of me as long as I look after him. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. So the Bible said, not only does it say that, the Bible also teaches in the book of Exodus, there was a nation that he judged severely and the nation was Egypt. Listen to me. He gave them tremendous, he gave them plenty of time to repent. The Lord is gracious, slow to anger. He always gives time to repent. He said, I gave her time to repent. He sends people to warn them. He sends messages. But if they will not repent, judgment's coming. But in the book of Exodus, when he judged that nation so severely, listen to what the Bible said. In the land of Goshen, there was plenty of light. That's where God's people lived and honored him. Judgment never touched them where they were at. And they were well taken care of there. You've got situations like the land of Sodom where he judged the nation because of their filthiness and their immorality. What did the angels say? He cannot judge this land until he gets his people taken care of in it. I, want my, I love this nation. This nation's been good to me. This is the greatest nation on earth. But I'm going to follow Jesus regardless of what happens in this nation. I don't quit by saying this to you. Second Peter asked this question. Since these things are happening, how then shall we live? 
All right, how am I supposed to live? Now, now listen, listen to me carefully from the scripture for just a moment here. Am I supposed to go get on the street corner and carry a sign and say judgment's coming and holler and scream? Am I supposed to moan and whine because the things are awful? Is that how I'm going to live? That's not how I'm going to live. I'm going to live the way the, this book tells me to live in the middle of judgment. Now, let me tell you what this Bible says. Number one, I'm going to make a decision. I've decided to follow Jesus. I don't care what anybody else does. And you have got, every person got to make a decision in this nation. You're going to follow the stream or you're going to follow the Savior. Who are you going to go with? Let me remind you what Mark chapter 8 verse 34 says. He who is ashamed of me and my words in front of an evil and sexually immoral nation, I will be ashamed of them when I return. Did you know the passage I read this morning from Romans chapter 1? Not long ago, a pastor was arrested and put in jail for reading that exact passage in his church in Canada. Canada's slightly ahead of us in their insanity. There's going to come a day in this nation, you read that passage, you'll go to jail. But let me make an announcement. Our sheriff is my buddy. He'll let me take my Bible to jail, and you ain't getting away from me in jail when I preach. <laughs> Dear ones, you have to make a decision. I applaud our county leaders for putting the words, in God we trust on our courthouse. That created a firestorm. People were upset. Let me make an announcement. That's our national motto. There are some of us who still trust in God. I was thankful to my sheriff for writing it on the patrol cars. Some of my atheist friends, when I'm having fun with them, and I tell them, don't tell me to be quiet. You preach the gospel. Do you ever pay your bill in a restaurant? Did you not hand somebody a piece of paper with In God We Trust written on it? Thank you for preaching the gospel to people. <laughs> Number two, Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't get to make decisions for a nation, but I'm going to make decisions. I'm going to lead any place I have influence. As for me and the home I live in, we're going to serve Jesus in that house. And that means any place I have influence. Let me make an announcement about our church. Our churches, I think churches are losing their minds today. Compromising God's word to be accepted. They will serve cool, sweet iced tea in hell before I'll deny this word to keep anybody happy. And we need to make a decision that we're going to stick with this book no matter what happens we're doing what a lot of people are going to be doing in the future. We started a private school here so that we can teach our children the values and the virtues that God teaches. I've already been put under pressure to make some compromises. Not only will they, not only will they serve sweet iced tea in hell, they'll serve cold ice cream to go with it before I'll make a change over there to keep anybody happy. We have decided we're going to honor him. Any place you have influence, you need to say what he's got to say. Abraham Lincoln years ago, I think he was a great prophet. Abraham Lincoln in the darkest day of this nation's history. The year was 1863 when our nation was in the most fierce part of the Civil War and it appeared the North was going to lose. The South was winning at the time. Abraham Lincoln was plunged into a depression and a despair like few men have ever. I don't know any man that's had more on his shoulders than him as a national leader. And in his great depression, one night an aide asked him, who was also a friend, said, Mr. Lincoln, do you think God's on our side or their side? We got two sides struggling in this nation now. A lot of people want to know whose side God is on. He said, Mr. Lincoln, do you think God's on our side or their side? Mr. Lincoln said, whether God's on my side or their side never crosses my mind. The only thing I care about is, am I on God's side? It's not which side, it's who's on his side. All right. Thirdly, my life 
this sounds terrible to say it like this, but I want you to understand, because I've decided to love God and obey Him, my life will be a comedy. And I don't mean humorous. I mean in the Shakespearean sense. Everything either turned out a comedy or a tragedy, meaning this. No matter how good it went, if it went bad at the end, that's called a tragedy. A comedy is no matter how bad it looks, in the end it will turn out good. That's called a comedy. That's also called Romans 8, 28. We know. I'm not hoping, wishing, thinking, hanging on for dear life. We know. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose and obey Him. You make up your mind you're going to love Him come hell or high water, see if it does not turn out well for you. Go ahead and make up your mind. Let me, let me, well, I need to stay on track here. Listen to me carefully. You need to wage war, number four, you need to wage war with wisdom. You don't need to be screaming and hollering and fighting. The wrath of man never works the righteousness of God. We need to pray and ask him, how do we help our nation? You tell us how. The answer is not in a man. It's in the God of heaven. And we need to wage war with wisdom. I'm watching people wage war today, but it's terrible. You need to stay focused on the big picture. Uh, let, me, let me help you understand something here. When the Titanic has struck the iceberg, it is not time to be fighting about who gets to sit in the front of the boat and who sits in the back of the boat. That's not a time to be arguing about what's going to be served on the buffet. That is a time to be getting the people in the lifeboat. Stay focused on the big picture of what you're doing. Number six, I'm going to pray for my nation. Let me quote to you from Scripture. God has a covenant with nations. This is what he said about it. If my people, my people called by my name will get off their high horse, humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, I will hear your prayers, forgive your sins. Listen to this, heal your land. The God of the American church is not big enough to heal this land, but the God of this Bible is. Let me make an announcement. All he'd have to do is clear his throat one time. This nation would be healed. He's able. And I'm going to pray every day. And let me tell you what I pray for in particular. I'm praying for God to raise up a man, not a politician, a man or a woman who can lead us boldly out of this darkness. And everybody will know God's hands on that person to help us. We've had it before in this nation when we were in darkness. And if ever there was a time, we need it right now. And then last of all, I want to say this. It's hard to say I'm going to live with a long-range view, but let me put it in a language you can understand. It ain't over till the fat lady sings. How's that for a language you can understand? Let me make an announcement. I don't care that you're ahead at the start of the third quarter. The final score is the only one that matters. A lot of people are crowing right now because God is dead and we've kicked him out of this nation. I can remember the headlines, 1968 Charlotte Observer, God is dead. A university professor had declared that God is officially dead in this nation. Let me make an announcement. The professor's now dead. God's still on his throne. And a lot of people are crowing because we've got religion out of the schools. We've gotten God out of the land. Let me make an announcement. He will have the last laugh. I've read a book called Revelation, which is the final word. He will have the final word. And you need to know beyond the shadow of a doubt, <clears throat> live with the long-range view. I have no idea what my life's going to entail. There ain't much more of it left. I'm 64 years old. But let me tell you something. Every person that loves God and loves this nation has a responsibility to do everything they can do to ensure for future generations that they get to enjoy what we enjoyed. We don't need to leave our children a crap mess to clean up. We need to leave our children. We should leave this nation better than we found it. 
not worse than we found it. I'm going to do everything I can, and I encourage you to do the same. But let me tell you something. One day it's going to all be over, and I promise you, he who laughs last will be who laughs with Jesus. He'll have the final word in this land. I want you to know what the Bible says about your nation. And let me tell you what the Bible says. When you see these things begin to happen, moan and weep and whine and get on the Internet and complain and crab. Luke 24, when you see these things begin to happen, lift up your heads and rejoice knowing your redemption draweth nigh. You need to be celebrating the goodness of God. I'm getting me a load up and I'm going to take everybody that will go with me and we out of here one day. But till then, he said this, work for the well-being of the land in which I placed you. Uh, let me speak to every person in this room. Let me tell you something. I've heard people say, I wished I'd lived back in different days, cowboy days. You'd have got shot. <laughs> you ain't tough enough for cowboy days. If we candy canes went back in, we'd get run. You couldn't even stay on a horse. <laughs> Everybody wanted to live in the grid. Let me tell you something. The Bible's very clear. You were born for such a time as this. You're living exactly when you're supposed to be living. He determined the day you'd be born and the place you'd be born, and he put you here for a reason. And this is a short-term assignment unto eternity, and I'm going to be about my master's business where I'm at. I, listen, I don't get to choose the hand that I'm given, but I have to play the hand I'm given, and I'm going to play it for the glory of the God the best I can. Help as many people I can, take as many as I can, and I'm going to piss as many atheists off as I can on the way, regardless of what happens. Take that off the thing, if you would, please. Just cut that. Father, I want to praise you and thank you. I love this nation. You have blessed me beyond measure. I've traveled to those other nations. I've been where people can't carry a Bible. I've been where people can't speak out. I've been where it was wrong to preach. I've seen what happens. I've seen what happens when guerrillas take over a nation and terrorize it. I thank you for the freedom we enjoy in this nation. I thank you for the prosperity you've given this nation. But I also know this, this nation's in, on a shaky place right now. As a nation, we put our fist in your face. And we humble ourselves before you this morning, just a little small band of people in a little out-of-the-way place in North Carolina. But I praise you that you said, I will hear their prayers. I will hear the prayers of my people. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, raise up a man or a woman that can speak to this nation and call a group of people to pour their hearts out before you so you'll heal this land. Thank you for the way you've blessed us. Father, I want to pray for every person in this room. Every human being is going to have to make a decision in the coming days. It needs to be made today. Do I go with the living God or do I turn against him with my culture? How I pray in Jesus' name. I care about people. I want them to do well. I want their families to prosper. I praise you and thank you you rule in the affairs of men. He who honors me, him I will honor, is your clear word. And I thank you and praise you that the only thing a man or woman needs to be concerned about, not what does my neighbor think, what do the Democrats think, what do the Republicans think, where do I stand with the living God? I pray for every person in this room that they will do business with you. Bow their hearts before you. Know that the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, merciful, good to all who put their trust in Him. But that they must put their trust in you and honor you. Thank you for the goodness you've shown. We pray to wage war with wisdom in this nation. How can we do the most good with our influence where we're at in our circle? And I thank you that one day every person's going to get to stand in front of you. 
I don't have to give an account for the nation. The only thing I want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in the little things I put you over. For eternity, I will make you ruler over the big things. Thank you that you honor those who honor you. Thank you for your goodness. And now, Father, on this week where we celebrate Thanksgiving, I want to thank you and praise you for the kindness that we've enjoyed. We're fat and sassy, well-fed, got more clothes than we can pack in the closet, beautiful homes, nice cars to drive, people that love us, a beautiful land to live in, all because of the kindness of our great God. And we praise you and thank you for your goodness and showing us the great mercy we don't deserve. And we're going to celebrate you till the day we see you face to face. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.